0: So uh, this section of scripture is a very famous section and uh, I am so excited to kind of unpack it for you. Uh, What you're going to see this morning is that there was a song, a current song in the first century that most scholars believe that this verse, it just got inserted into this passage of scripture. And uh, really powerful when it comes to really us understanding the nature of Christ the dual nature of Christ, and so I am really excited about you listening to this and making the application, the subject matter today, the theme that we're going to see is the unity of the body of Christ, and you're going to see that all the way through this, and we're going to, I'm going to show you how significant it is for your life and how powerful it can be in your life when you walk in unity with other believers. <clears throat> so with that in mind, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak your word today. And I pray that God, that you would take my words and use them for your honor and glory. I pray that you would anoint what I'm going to say. I pray, God, that you would speak to your people, walk up and down every aisle, speak to every person here today, uh, give them something to take away from this service, God, that will help them walk with you in a closer way. In Jesus' holy and powerful name, I pray, amen. Amen. So, uh, I can't go on without saying this. I mean, I just, you know, I can res- resist anything. Thank you. I can resist anything but temptation. So, uh, I'm just going to say, how about those 49ers? So, so, my condolences to the Green Bay Packer fans, okay? But I have a story to tell you that is really funny, okay? So, uh, and weird. So I'm gonna start with this story today and I don't know why, I'm just gonna tell you. So last night I'm watching the game and you know I'm thinking the Niners are going to lose. That's my thought. You know, I just didn't think they, were, they had the ump to pull it out. And so the Packers were driving down to, you know, to score and uh, a minute something left in the game and I say, I stand up, I'm sitting down and I stand up and I say, in the name of Jesus, throw an interception. I just said that out loud. And voila, the next play, he threw an interception. So, yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, don't mess with me. I'm just saying, don't mess with me. That's all I have to say about that subject. I I just thought it was funny, so I just thought I'd share with you before we get started. So, you okay with that? You all right with that? Have a little fun in church? Yeah, okay? All right. So... Today, like I said earlier, the subject matter is the unity of the body of Christ. And uh, I think this is something that we underestimate how much power is there. And oftentimes we underestimate, underestimate the idea of what really happens when I, when I choose to walk in unity with other believers. So the question then is, as we look, we're going to walk through this text. As we look at this text, why would Paul write this? Why would Paul write the importance of the unity of the body of Christ? So let me suggest three things. First thing, there are three reasons. First thing is for the sake of the gospel. He wrote it for the sake of the gospel. Watch this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Stop right there. Soak that in. The life that you're now living You are called by God. You have a calling by God to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus, to reflect the gospel of Jesus. So let's just take that in for a minute. Uh, So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing, watch this, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Notice with me that Paul ties walking in unity together with a worthy walk with God and with the idea of walking in the power of Christ himself. I mean, see that all wrapped up together in, in one thing. It is really amazing what happens when the body of Christ actually walks together in unity. And so we're gonna talk about what that looks like, how I accomplish it, and uh, I think it will be very powerful for you to hear. So I wanna start with a story. So many Gothic churches in the Middle Ages built these magnificent, powerful cathedrals. And you you see them in Europe all over the place. You see pictures of them. And uh, Middle Ages, you're thinking, how in the world did they put those stones together? How did they get them to the right place? And so let me tell you how that happened. So bottom line is, is that there would be a mine that where they would take out stones and they would you know, carve them out and make them fashionable for a building. And this is literally what happened. Up to 50 miles in length, there would be people that would form a human chain and they would pass stone to stone from person to person until there was enough to build that particular facility, that particular sanctuary, that tabernacle. And so I just want to say, when you think about how impressive that is, I mean, we have a hard time walking across the street to go to Starbucks. <laughs> Let alone standing for you know maybe days or months or who you knows how, how long, standing in a line, passing stone to stone and you see the power of unity in that process. They didn't have the kind of equipment you and I have, they didn't have any of those things so that's how they improvised and they did it through unity. I want you to see that as the power of God. The second thing I want you to know, notice with me not only is it for the sake of the gospel why is Paul writing this it's also because of the dangers you and I face as believers so bottom line we didn't say this when you signed up for Christianity we didn't get up on the stage and say hey it's really dangerous so maybe you should rethink it um, we didn't say that at all but the reality is is that what scripture says is the moment you say yes to Jesus you have an enemy Ha Satan, the adversary the one who accuses the brethren day and night, who walks around seeking whom he may devour, you have an enemy that wants to destroy your life. That's the truth of what the New Testament reveals to us about our our arch enemy, Satan. And so for you and I to be protected, there are several things that God has given to us. The armor of God is an amazing thing. But also, there is safety in the unity of the body of Christ. So Paul writes to the Philippians that he says in verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. There's going to be opponents. That is a clear sign to them that destru- of their destruction. Notice with me, the sign of our enemy's destruction is our unity together. Do you see that? That's what the scripture said right here. It's a sign of their destruction. And then it goes on to say, Uh, but of your salvation. Not only is your unity a, a sign of this destruction, but it's a sign of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So because of our enemy, because suffering is never done well alone, speaking from personal experience, because suffering is never done well alone, you need the body of Christ, to endure your enemies and to endure the suffering that is coming your way because you named Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the second reason Paul says unity is essential. The third reason is because of our mutual relationship to Christ and to each other. Now watch this in Philippians 1.30 and, and then verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, engage in the same conflict that you saw and I it's all I had, and now here that I still have. In other words, you and I are connected. He's saying to these Philippians, "You and I are connected by our suffering. You've had it, I've had it. We have this fellowship. We have this. We have this togetherness. We have this. We have this sense of oneness that you would never have outside of us having this suffering that goes on inside the the Christian life as we suffer together." And what happens is, oftentimes, when we get bad news, when we have loss in our life, when we have something that causes us to really just, you know, withdraw, that's exactly what happens, is that we withdraw, we, start, we stop attending churches. I, you know, I, I just, I, I'm struggling, so what do I do? I separate myself. Exactly what the enemy wants you to do because there is something that happens when you and I connect ourselves together inside the body of Christ then in the next chapter 2 verse 1 it says so if there is any encouragement in Christ and the phrases here in the Greek in the Greek language are very explicit and literally it would say if there is any and there is that's the implication of this particular particular text so if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, and there is all those things as we walk together in unity. So that answers the question: why would Paul write this? Why is unity so important for your life? Because I'm gonna tell you something: money-back guarantee, there will be a time in your life that you can't do it alone. It'll be too much, too hard two over the top, and you're going to need the body of believers that are going to walk with you, pray with you, serve you, help you. That is why Paul is writing this for you and I to understand how important unity really is. So that answers why. Now let's look at what does unity look like for just a few minutes. What does unity look like? So verse two says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. So let me just give you four defining characteristics of love, of this unity that we walk with. One is having one mind. And what I mean by that, what Paul means by that, is that we don't have to agree necessarily in everything there is, we don't have to agree. You and I can have great disagreements about things like faith and how we live it out, the application of that faith. We can have great disagreements, but the bottom line is we have one Christ, one Savior, one God, one baptism into him. We, have one, we are one in that area, so we have to be one in those areas. So one in mind, one in love. We have to express the same love that Christ has for us, this kesed type of love, this love that is loyal love, one in spirit and one in purpose. So we can have great disagreements, but those things have to be intact for you and I to have a a quality of life when it comes to walking in unity of the spirit. So I've had the great opportunity to travel all over the world, and I was actually, I went into Russia before the wall came down. And uh, there was, I experienced a lot of really really interesting things. And I want to tell you something about the Russian people. They are such loving Generous, amazing people that's what I discovered done a dozen trips there. but this is what I also know is that from the time they were small children, they were indoctrinated and, and they were they were told what to believe and if they stepped out of line, they were forced to believe it that is not that doesn't compromise that doesn't. Com- comprise unity. Unity happens when out of the grace of God, I do it because I'm a willful participant, I enjoy it, I agree with it, and I move in that direction. So that, I want you to understand that distinction. It's not enforced by power, it's enforced by the grace of God. If you have experienced the grace of God, why good night, why wouldn't you want to walk with other believers in the sense of unity together as, we've, as we look at the gospel? There's a classic movie that I loved uh, when it came out and it was called Coach Carter. Anybody seen that movie? You know, if you're old if you're young, you should google that movie, go look at it. It is really an inspiring movie. It's a true story about a coach by the name of Carter who went back to his high school that he graduated from and he became the basketball coach of this high school. And this team was in array and conflict. They hated each other. They were losing games and, you know, they called in Coach Carter to take this team and, and they didn't like him because he enforced a lot of rules and, he, you know, he brought discipline to the team and, and purpose and direction and, and so much so that one of the players just quit. He just quit the team, said, I, I, you can have it. I don't, want this, I don't want to play anymore. And he was one of their stars. And so, said, okay, Go. About two or three weeks later, this team began, you know, through a process of time, this team began winning, and he had a change of heart. He wanted to come back to the team. He wanted to come back and play for Coach Carter. And so he asked, could I come back? And Coach Carter said, yeah, you can come back, but here's, here's, here's what's gonna happen. Uh, between now and Friday, you have to do 2,500 push-ups. 25, some of you can't do one. <laughs> 2,500 push-ups, oh, man, and in addition to that, you have to do a 1,000 suicide drills. And, and, uh, and he came back on Friday and said, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And uh, his arch enemy on the team said, I'll do it. I'll step in. How many, how many do you have left? And the rest of the team step, stepped into the breach, and they did the push-ups and the suicide drills, and he was accepted back on the team. And I'm going to say to you, as you look at that movie, it defines what unity is about, a willful humility that serves others. When you have that, there is a unity of spirit, one in mind, one in purpose, one in love, one in everything else. So with that in mind, uh, let's think about verse three now. If I'm gonna walk in unity, there's gonna be some things that I need to get rid of in my life. There's things that I've gotta figure out, I can't do this anymore. One of them is an unhealthy sense of competition. Show you the verse in just a minute. But what I want you to know that what most people compete for isn't a natural competition. Natural competition is great. I mean, I love sports, and you have to have competition to play it, right? There's a winner and a loser, and you strive to win. That's not the kind of competition that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of competition, now listen to this carefully, that competes for other people's love. That's unhealthy, it's unnatural. It's ungodly, and social media puts it out in our face all the time. And I'm just going to tell you, it has ruined the sense of unity that we could walk with because when I look at social media, I have to understand a couple of things. None of that is true. It's not true. And I can even alter the, my face on social media so that I look like Shane. I'm just saying. I can do that. I can do that. And I'm, I'm saying this unhealthy competition destroys this sense of unity. So let's look at the verse, verse three. It says, do nothing, how much? Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. And I'm just gonna say, when you think about what that, that means, let, let, I mean, this is the hardest part of scripture to actually fulfill, that I'm actually to take people that annoy me and you're sitting in church right now with people that annoy you, right? I might be one of them. <laughs> and you're worshiping Jesus and you're, at the same time you're, you're annoyed you know, by something, someone. And, I'm, and so what this verse says is for me, for me to really walk in unity, I've got to get rid of this conceit that's in my life and I've got to look at others as more important than myself. And I've got to serve them and look at their interest as more important than mine. And in our culture, 21st century America, that is nearly impossible to do because we have been brainwashed to believe it's all about us. It's all about you and your happiness and you know, what, you, you know, what you get out of it and what, you know, what's in it for me. Those are all the things that our culture has indoctrinated us to believe and it's all lies. What scripture says is just the opposite. Where I'm gonna get ultimately fulfilled is when I abandon my need to get my needs met and I look at other people's needs as more important than my own. So I've got to abandon my agenda. I'm gonna show you how Jesus did that in just a minute but let's just think about that for a minute. I've got to abandon competition in an unhealthy way. I've got to abandon conceit because I can't walk in conceit and humility at the same time. And I have to look at criticism from a different way. I'm not saying that I can't be critical. I keep saying that I can't have a critical spirit. So here's the challenge. If I'm going to walk in unity, here's the challenge. I'm gonna ask you this question now and then I'm gonna ask you in about 12 minutes from now the same question. Can you go... 24 hours, one day, consecutively. Let's not count sleep, let's go, so let's make it 36 hours. <laughs> Can you go 24 hours without saying an unkind word about anybody? An unkind, we, you know, we're just so nat, so natural at speaking things out of our tongues that are just unkind. And we're not the judge. We're not the judge of people. God is. You don't know the circumstances. Only God does. So I need to get rid of competition, conceit, criticism, undue criticism. And, uh, and a barometer of that would be, can I go 24 hours without actually speaking an unkind word? Now that brings us to verse 4. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interests of others. I've got to look at their interests and say, how can I consider them? How can I do that? Now, we come to the section of scripture where Jesus models this. And this is called uh, the kenosis. This is a passage, if you read anything about theology, you're gonna see this big fancy word, it's a Greek word. And it literally means the emptying. It means that Jesus emptied himself. So we're gonna read some scripture and I'm gonna go slowly through this section because this is probably one of the most important passages of scripture that talks about the nature of Jesus, who he was, and what he came to do. So let's look at this up close and personal. To empty. So the question I want to look at today, it's obvious from this text when we read it that Jesus emptied himself. The question is, what did he empty himself of, and what did he replace it with? So let's just walk through it. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, now we're talking about Jesus, we're supposed to have the mind of Jesus. We're supposed to emulate Jesus, to imitate Jesus, right? Follow him. So this passage says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the morphe of God, the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He didn't account equality with God as a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself. There's that Greek word, kenosis. He emptied himself. So what did Jesus empty himself of? There are some people out there that said, well, when he, when he left heaven, he emptied himself, himself of his deity. That is not true. Because John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he still possessed his deity when he was born into this world. What then did he empty himself up of? The answer to that question is he emptied himself of the right to be seen that way. He emptied himself of the right to be noticed that way. He took his reputation, put it aside, and looked at your interests as more important than his because what you needed, your life is really messed up. Have you noticed that? And what you needed was a savior who would die for you. And the only way that that could be accomplished is if he set aside his right to be regarded as God and took upon the form of a servant. So, it's, so the, the text says exactly that. So he, he did not account he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So he is the only being that has ever had two natures. He had a divine nature. He was God. And a human nature. He was man. He was the God man. This passage is the clearest New Testament teaching as to who Jesus really was and is and is to come. So he took on the morphe of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He, now watch this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. So his humility led him to obedience to his father. He was here on a mission and his mission was to go to the cross and die for you so that you could be reconciled to God once for all time, it's a beautiful thing. And now, here's what I want to say to you: is that you know that's who, that's who Jesus is. But the reality is, you and I are called then to be like Him. Not that we'll ever be God; we're not going to be gods. But we are to humble ourselves and become obedient and walk in humility and love towards one another, considering other people's needs as more important than ourselves. And when I do that, I walk in the power of the spirit because I walk in unity with other believers. I'm gonna just say this to you. Look me in my eye when I tell you this. You can have no more power. You can have no more power than to which you are connected to other believers. Want the power of God? You want the power of God? you want the power of God in your life, then you've got to be connected in humility to other believers to receive it. You can't get it any other way. It's not, God's power isn't given to independent contractors. He's not, his power isn't given to looky-loos. His power is given to people who will humble themselves and learn what it means to serve others. Others for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the cross, for the sake of the glory of God. You can never have, I'm gonna say this to you one more time, you can never have the power of God in your life if you're gonna be disconnected to other believers. God is uninterested in doing that for you. But when you connect yourself to other believers, humble yourself, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So why do I need to strive to be like Jesus? That's the question. I just told you for one reason, but then we get to verse nine and it says this, therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, I don't know what that means under the earth, but I just accept it by faith, and every tongue confess, That Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. So this is what happened to Jesus. He got exalted. He humbled himself. He came for the sake of others. He came to redeem you. And God, his Father, took him to the cross. He died on the cross, was buried, rose again. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has been exalted to glory. Now here's what I want to say to you. There's an exaltation coming in your life if you'll humble yourself, count other people as more important than yourself, look on their interests as more important than yours, walk in humility and learn the, the obedience of serving others. There is an exaltation either in this life or the next. I don't know which for you, but I do know it's coming and I know it is coming. It, it came for Jesus and I want you to know this. This, I can't, resist saying this to you uh, because this is so important for you to hear, is that one day, if you haven't done this yet, one day you will get on your knees and you will confess Jesus as Lord. If you do it today, in this life, you get to go to heaven. But you will do it one way or the other. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. If you do it in this life, you get to go to heaven. If you do it in the next, you'll be on your road to hell. That's the truth. But you will confess one way or the other. I would highly recommend, I would highly recommend, strongly recommend that you do it today if you have not done that very thing because this is so important I want to end with this story because this is an example of a human outside of Jesus that lived a life seeking others as more important than themselves so there's a guy by the name of Dawson Trotman anybody ever heard about him he's the he's the founder of this amazing organization called navigator still exists today and it was, its height, it's, you know, its, its height was, you know, in my era when, you know, when I got saved in the 70s. But great discipleship program. He was a very famous preacher. This story's not about him. But he was in Taiwan. And there was a local pastor in Taiwan that wanted him to come and speak, to preach, to a village that was about three or four miles up in the hills. And so they had to set out and walk and it was muddy and rainy. And, and they, you know, by the time they got there, there was mud up to their knees. It was really, really messy. And Dawson Trotman said, I don't remember what I preached that day. I don't even remember if anybody came to Christ that day. I don't remember. But you know what I do remember? And I'll remember it for the rest of my life. I'll remember that when we got to the top of that climb, This pastor got on his knees and washed my boots. That's what I'll remember for the rest of my life. That's the mind of Christ. It isn't great preaching. It is great humility. That's the mind of Jesus. Great humility. And as you walk in humility, you'll discover that God will exalt you at his appropriate time. And there's an eternity waiting for our glorification. But the reality is right now, I get the privilege of walking every day, letting this mind be in me, which is also in Christ Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped after, but he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death and that on a cross. I get to live that out every day. As a privilege, as a Christ follower, to humble myself before God and to serve others as an expression of my humility. So I have a homework assignment for you because I love to give homework out. Two things. <clears throat> look me in the eyes when I say this to you. It's up to you. If this is between you and God. I'm never going to know uh, whether you do this or not, but God will. I just, just want to say that to you. God will know if you do this or not. Um Two thoughts, will you, today, start actively serving Jesus? Starting today. And how I do that is by learning to serve others. That's how I do it. Not serving me, serving others. And in particular, the body of Christ. I'm gonna start, in my journey, starting today, I don't care what your past is, I don't care how messed up it is, I don't care who you are, start today. Bow your knees before Jesus. And get up off your knees and serve with a towel his people. Will you make that decision in your life today? I promise you, you will never, ever regret that decision. You will never regret a decision that says, "I'm going to spend a lifetime of serving others." The second piece of the homework is, will you make a decision today to go, this is just a test to see where you are with Jesus. Will you go 24 hours without speaking an unkind word about anyone, including Shane? (laughs) I'm just kidding. He's off limits. You can say, I don't know. No, you can't. No, you can't. 24 hours. Will you go 24 hours without speaking an unkind word just to see where you are with this idea of walking in humility with Jesus, just to see where you're at. That's the purpose of of the homework assignment, is just to see where you're at. Is that a fair deal? 24 hours, no unkind word, just to see. Father, thank you for this day, and my prayer, God, is that you'll take my words and use them in some way, some fashion, I thank you for just the opportunity to serve your people today and may you be glorified in Jesus holy and powerful and awesome name I pray, amen.